we're going to start in Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible says, uh, tell you what, this is a long sentence. But I like to get this whole sentence. Let's start back in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. Notice Paul gets real thankful for them, and all they've done is two things. Faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints. I don't know how much doctrine they have. I don't know how hard of workers they were. I don't know how talented they were. I don't know how long they had been faithful. But they just had two things down. They believed in Jesus and they loved God's people. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, the spokesman for our age that wrote more of the New Testament than anybody, was thankful for him just right there. Now maybe somebody doesn't feel like we're all that up on Bible doctrine. You don't feel like you're a theologian. You can have faith in Jesus and love God's people. If you can do that, you're the kind of person that the Apostle Paul himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said he is thankful to have. That would not include some Baptists I know. <laughs> Verse uh, 16, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Sounds like maybe they weren't all that smart. He's having to pray for them to get some wisdom and revelation. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I mean, he's praying for them to get smarter, I guess you might say. But as Bob Jones Sr. once said, some of the deadest Christians I know are some well-taught Christians. I mean, they're smart. I'll give you, they're smart. They could sit here and fuss with you and show you a Bible verse that proves they're right. But they don't have much faith in Christ, and they sure don't have much love for the brethren. I'd rather take somebody that believes Jesus and loves, brethren, loves Christian people over somebody that can sit and fuss with me about the Bible. Amen. And don't get me wrong, I believe in doctrine. I believe we all study. I, we got Bible verses that say to, okay? I'm not saying leave that out, but if you're going to put more importance on something, Faith in Jesus Christ and love for the brethren would be more important than the rest of it. You can pray for you can pray for somebody to get a little smarter. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Think what an impressive thing that is. I mean, when he lifts up and exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, he's far above any name that can be named in this world or anything that's going to come in the future. Amen. Man, that's way up there. Amen. That's good. Verse 22. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. After all that wonderful teaching, in, which is a remarkable amount of teaching in one sentence, he brings it down to this. Hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. There is a unique way in which the Lord Jesus Christ is given 
to the church. He is ours especially and peculiarly. Just like a man is the boss at work and he's, you know, maybe fulfills a, a office in the chamber of commerce or the city council or something. And so he has roles in all those areas, but he's especially his wife's. He's especially the daddy of his children. And in that similar sense, the Lord Jesus Christ is God of all and Savior of all who will receive him. But he's especially ours in the church. He's our husband. All right, Colossians chapter 1. All right, that was Ephesians. Now turn through Philippians over to Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 24. Remember one of the long sentences. Verse 21, I guess, to get the whole sentence. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. There's that thing I bring out a lot where, you know, people talk about, well, change on the inside and don't worry about the outside. Uh, no, if you're doing wicked works on the outside, it affects your inside. Amen. You'll be an enemy in your mind based on what you do on the outside. The habits you form will affect what you think about. Don't you sit and look at dirty stuff and mess around with dirty stuff and talk about your hearts, right? Uh-uh, that ain't how it works. I've often said, you know, try that in your marriage. Tell your wife, now you love her in your heart, but this other woman you're going to be with, that's just outward and physical. You know, don't worry about that. You're the one that has my heart. She just has my body. <laughs> no, probably wouldn't work. Probably wouldn't work. And don't try that with God either. Don't tell him your outward works are fine. Uh, don't worry about them, Lord. You've got my heart. No, if he's got your heart, he's got your body too. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cleaner you are on the outside, the more will help the in. And yes, I admit, the cleaner you are on the inside, the more will help the out. Both, both ways work. Don't do one at the expense of the other. Verse 21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Uh, we are the bride of Christ, and we are the body of Christ. So I want to preach tonight on the church's body. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to us, and I pray you'd help us to understand the importance our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ as his church, we're his bride, we're his body. And Lord, I pray that we'd uh, do a better job of living, living up to the lofty uh, position that we've been given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Right, I want to say tonight that the universal church is far superior to the local church. Now, I'm a pastor of a local church. I think a local church is important. Now, my first point is going to be telling you how important the local church is. Now, buddy, when we get to join up with that universal church, we're going to be on another level altogether. You talk, you know, some people talk about they have a bunch of stock in a certain company, and that stock goes up, and then they split, and they have double the amount of shares that they had in that company, so that the next time it goes up, they'll, have, they'll double their money. Years ago, I worked for Lowe's, and for years, ever since 1960, every four years, Lowe's 
average some kind of a split all the way you know, well into the 2000s. And a lot of people I knew and worked with, man, they made a fortune. <laughs> they made a fortune having that stock split an average of every four years ever since 1960 to 2000 and whatever it was, 2006 or something like that. Uh, you talk about the stock splitting when that trumpet sounds, Lester Roloff used to say, your stock is going to split. Everything changes when that trumpet sounds. Now, the word church is ecclesia in Greek. The theologians all love to talk about that. And it means a call-out assembly. And uh, Dr. Ruckman taught us that the first time this occurs is when Noah and his family are called out of the world because of sin and impending judgment. Now, they were called out to be isolated or separated, negative. Now, a lot of people get mad about this stuff and say, well, we're not, it's not that we're any better. No, it's just we don't want to drown in God's judgment. That's all it is. It isn't that Noah, it, you know, his, his family had some problems too, just like anybody does. But he didn't want to drown in God's judgment, so he separated. Let me tell you why you should separate from this world so you don't drown in God's judgment. You keep hanging around with this world and they're your buddies and that's who you hang out with and you talk about their stuff and listen to their same stuff and all that junk. You're going to get some on you. And the more you get on you, the less you and the Lord spend any time together. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. If you surround yourself with sin and get sin all over you, your love starts getting cold. That's just how it works. People always say that's just your interpretation. And it's not an interpretation, it's a quotation. <laughs> People have a hard time differentiating between an interpretation and a quotation. I didn't write that. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That's how it happens. And so Noah and his family, way back in ancient days, of course, were called out to be isolated or separated negative. The modern term is segregated. Oh, boy. That'll get me in all kinds of trouble. Better... better beat that out of the video. Just kidding. And uh, it is God's calling. Now, not racial segregation, you know, like we had in the 60s here in this country, but spiritual segregation. Um, getting along with the world and helping the world do anything but repent is unbiblical, and it's not God's calling. However, they were not alone. They were a small assembly, positive. So yeah, they were negative in that they separated out from the world, but they were positive in that they stuck together and built, a, built an ark, didn't they? Both separation and unity are present in God's churches. Separation from the world, but unity with other members of God's called out assembly. <laughs> now, some of the group I grew up with, they didn't have much trouble with separation. That's all they ever wanted to talk about. But unity, they weren't so great on that. <laughs> I mean, buddy, they was, they was talking about their standards and their things that they did. And if you was going to be such and such in their church, you had to do this and this and this and this and this. And it was all good things. I'm not fussing or disagreeing with any of them. But I think they forgot that they were dealing with humans. <laughs> Let me tell you about humans. They ain't going to go by your rules. In 6,000 years of world history, they have never gone by anybody's rules Less now, maybe, than ever before. <laughs> and so we've got to somehow, yes, take care of the separation, but also have some unity with a couple of people. There needs to be a few people we can actually get along with. Now, admittedly, when it gets as bad as it got in Noah's day, it's going to be a small group. 
But and, and as bad as it is in our day, it's probably going to be a pretty small group. But separation from the world and unity with the other members of God's called out assembly. Now this first occurrence fixes the meaning throughout the Bible. But Noah did not do this. He did not go off with his family and have no contact with the world. He preached to them. He witnessed to them. They might have thought he was crazy, and I'm sure they must have. But they did think that in his craziness, he did care about them. He did see, he did show that he was concerned for their faith and was preaching and warning. Now, you should separate from the world, but you should still preach to them so they know that you do care. Now, they will think you're nuts. They will think you are nuts. The closest thing you will be able to probably do that they would halfway understand is explain that you're, you believe in things kind of like they did in Andy Griffith days. Now, I know in Andy Griffith days they weren't, you know, Bible-believing Baptists, but that will be the closest thing somebody in our day would have in their mind. I'm having to increasingly realize the stuff I preach and teach out of the Bible that was so accepted when I was a little boy now is just confusing and people don't even know what it means. So the one way you can kind of get it across to them is most people at least know about the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> and Leave it to Beaver and a few of those. And you can say, well, it was kind of like, it was a lot like that. You know, that they you'll halfway get it across then. And they'll, they'll think you're nuts, but they'll think, oh, okay, well, you know, they're nice or something. <laughs> they care a little bit at least. So Noah was a preacher of righteousness, he's called. Now that definition of called out assembly matches the categories in the New Testament church age, local churches and the group raptured out at the end. Now thank God the local church is here to sustain us and God help us to be more faithful to it but thank God even more for the wonder of the universal church to be established at the rapture. One of these days we'll hear come up hither and hear a trumpet blow. and it, it, Our worries will sure be over then. Amen. Because you won't have a pastor like me anymore, thank God. You'll have Jesus. Now, buddy, when you get that, you will be home free. You'll, you'll have it made then. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, the problem is right now in these sinful bodies, if Jesus was pastoring us now... We'd still fail him. You know how I know? Because he showed up one time and they all failed him then. Amen. But something else is going to change. Jesus will be the pastor and our natures will be changed. Yes. Now that is a big deal. Because now not only will we have the perfect leader, we'll have the perfect followers. Because we'll be in the image of Jesus Christ. Man, what a wonderful day. But first, before we talk about this universal church, let's talk about the local church. All right, now there are a few, not many, but a few advantages of the local church. Number one, it is literally, physically here right now. Now that is a great advantage. That universal church is a great thing to think about one of these days, but it ain't here yet. We're not assembled all together with them. Maybe in some spiritual sense, seated together in heavenly places, the scripture says, but not in any way, literally or physically, um, as best I can tell. Uh, the local church will get you through the nasty now and now while you're waiting for the sweet by and by. Good point. It is a you're gonna you're gonna be in some nasty now and now, and it is gonna be good to get around some Christians and the Spirit of God and preaching and singing and praying. 
to help you get through it. And there is no way to estimate the blessing and help it'll be if you will let it. So it's here literally and physically now. Uh, also, it can be literally and physically added to. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, these things I've written to you, hoping to come unto you shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So that how to behave yourself is right in the context of the ideal pastor and the ideal deacon. Well, what has pastors and deacons? Local churches, literal, physical, local churches. So therefore, we know that these churches can be added to. Now, I'm not going to bring up the disadvantage of they can be subtracted from, as we've seen in the last couple of years. <laughs> I'll leave that out since we're talking about advantages right now. But it is here now, literally and physically, and it can be literally and physically added to. I'll tell you something else. It allows individual growth and improvement. You can get better. You can lay up more rewards in heaven. You can please God more. You can win souls. You can at least influence people toward the Lord Jesus. Even if you're not the one right there on your knees praying with them when they get saved, you might have a big part in them getting saved by just living well in front of them and mentioning Jesus and putting that thought in their mind. You might be planting a seed that maybe somebody else gets later, but you get some of the reward for it. That's one of the blessed things about a, a, a local church. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. You get in a local church, man. You can get in some things and you can contribute to some things that make peace and edify, build up each other. And edifice, as you know, is a building, so to edify is to build it up. Sometimes there are some pretty good people in many ways that... Bless their hearts, they just have some things wrong and they keep everybody mad and in a fuss and offended and hurt and as much as we'd like to keep them. The Bible says in the local church we're supposed to do things that make for peace and that edify one another. There have been times where I kind of wanted things a certain way but the men of the church saw it a different way and I did have to admit if it went my way it probably was going to be more fighting. <laughs> not much peace and some people wouldn't be edified they'd be offended and so guess what I did I went with the men of the church you say you're the pastor yeah but I ain't the only one to be taken into account and even though personally I kind of thought the other way would be better I have to admit men of the church were right it was not going to make for peace and it was not going to edify anybody so I had to admit even though oh it hurt in a way yeah we better we better go that way that is an important thing about a local church, having some peace, building each other up. That's one of the great advantages of a local church. If you remove that, man, you, you remove one of the main things the church is supposed to be doing. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. When you're in a church, you need to be thinking about, wait a minute, how will this hurt or help other people? It may not be wrong. I may not be preaching against something you're thinking of as a sin, but it may lead a 
younger person down a wrong line. There are some things I can do now in my 50s that some of these boys in their teens and 20s don't need to be messing around with. <laughs> don't get me wrong. It, I'm not saying there's no danger at my age, but God knows there's not much. But now for some of them, oh, buddy, it would be a trouble. It might lead them down a rabbit hole they don't want to get started in. You know what i got to think of? There's some things that may not be wrong for me, and I've got my Christian liberty, but I might be a stumbling block to somebody else. So in a church, we've got to think about these things. Will it bring peace? Will it edify somebody else? Is it lawful for me? But will it edify others? If you've got a church that's thinking about stuff like that, wow, what a blessing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. Another good thing about church is it's comfort. When they come back and see a, a, a friendly face and a faithful face and a loving face that cares about them and their spiritual health, man, that's a blessing. Out there in the world, nobody cares about it. One of the things that's been hard for me to wrap my mind around, one reason the Lord and me fuss so much about that railing and reviling and yelling and fussing at people was in my life growing up the people that loved me yelled at me they were the ones that cared enough to fuss at me and correct me and uh, the people that never yelled at me they couldn't have cared less if I drove off a cliff tomorrow so in my mind yelling and fussing and screaming and reviling and anything you could do that was connected to loving somebody and that's part of it Part of loving somebody is admonitions and correcting them. But part of it is comforting them. Yes. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify. Well, part of edifying and building somebody up is knocking some rough edges off sometimes. But part of it is comforting them. Sometimes, yeah, they have some rough edges that not, need to be knocked off, but you got a couple other places you probably need to shore up first. So the advantages of the local church is it is literally and physically here now. It can be literally and physically added to it. It allows individual growth and improvement. Those are some good things. That'll get you more rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. That'll get you more joy and better testimony and more power with God. Those are wonderful things. Don't take those things lightly. But now let's talk about the advantages of the universal church, because it's going to be better. Uh, the first thing I'll say is the simplicity of joining. <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to schedule a baptism. You don't have to do any of that. You just get saved, and you're in the universal church. Amen. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I mean, they just got saved, and boom, they were in. Um, Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't know what that means. But in some way, when you were quickened together with Christ, by grace you are saved, you somehow are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 says. I have no idea in what sense 
or how, or if you've got, I, I heard a song one time that said, I'm waiting on my body to be. And that song seems to imply that you've got a body sitting up there in a chair waiting for you to be joined to it. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how that works in, as far, as, in all the exact details. But in some sense, you're already up there, seated together in heavenly places. So the simplicity of joining is just believing on Jesus. All right, the second one is permanence of membership. <laughs> I mean, when you join this church, you're in. That is not true of local Bible-believing Baptist uh, churches. <laughs> you be a member here a while, you get mad at somebody, and you're not a member anymore, and this, that is going on, and you get in a fuss, and, oh, man, as a pastor, no wonder I pulled all my hair out. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Ephesians 5, 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now when did we become a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones? Was it when we joined Victory Baptist Church, or was it when we got saved? Amen. We got saved, we became a member of his body, and we can't be severed. You can be severed from your membership at Victory Baptist Church. Believe me, it happens. <laughs> you can't be severed from your membership in the body of Jesus Christ, Amen. of his flesh, and of his bones. Doesn't that sound literal? So the simplicity of joining, the permanence of membership, here's a good one. All are present. As a pastor of a small church, one of the frustrating things is that all are really almost never present. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Amen. There won't be one that's out sick that day. There won't be one that's on vacation that day. There won't be one that had to work that day. If they did, it won't matter. God's taking them anyway. Uh, verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Um, I guess that's good enough there to show that all are present. Another good one is all are healthy. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hospital visits can be great visits. But in the universal church, you won't have any need for any hospital visits. Those will have ended. You won't be preaching any funerals in the universal church. Um, so all are present. The membership is permanent. All are healthy. Here's a great one. All are sinless. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is what? Sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the context of this uh, resurrection, it talks about we have the victory. We'll all be sinless. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Well, we won't be dying. Well, what, then what does that mean? Then we must not be sinning. The only people that don't die are people who don't sin. That wouldn't be any of us right now, would it? 1 Thessalonians 5, 
And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, that's not us right now. We're not holy and without blame and don't have perfect love. What love we do have isn't exactly right, is it? So he's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we'll be holy and without blame and in love. Wow, well that hadn't happened yet. Nope. Must happen at the universal church. All are sinless. Here's a great one. All are in agreement. <laughs> oh, wait. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temple of the living God as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people Amos 3 3 can two walk together except they be agreed amen that's what's wrong with a lot of marriages in our day. You got two things in agreement. They can't even walk together. They won't live together long term. Agreement. It's got to be, got to happen. That's why it's wrong with a lot of Baptist churches. Wrong with a lot of things. Romans 15, 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All are in harmony. Psalm 133, one, I remember Dr. Ruckman sarcastically quoting this verse, talking about Baptist churches. He'd say, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that flowed down Aaron's beard. <laughs> he, would, he would really ham it up, man. If you've dealt with uh, Bible-believing Baptists any length of time, you know the brethren dwelling together in unity ain't happening. That hadn't happened in a long time and ain't fixing to happen by tomorrow. But thank God when he raptures us out of here, well, yeah, that'll be a blessed time. All are in harmony. Ephesians 4.13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know when we're going to come together in the unity of faith? When we're with the perfect man, Jesus Christ. That's right. You know what we're not going to do until then? We're not going to come together in perfect unity in the faith. We're going to fuss. We're going to fight. You get to fuss and leave this church, good luck with that. You're just going to fuss at the next one. <laughs> you may not the first six months or the first two years, but you will eventually. I assure you, that's just the way it works. All are in harmony. Here's a good one. All are joyous. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, And they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. It said he wept much that nobody was worthy to open the book. And when somebody opened the book, they broke out in song. They were so happy. Amen. You know, we're not to that place yet, of course. 
but we have just a little taste of it. Don't you get excited when the bread of life gets broken? Somebody yeah. opens the Word of God and starts telling you some truths out of it. It thrills my heart. It ought to thrill your heart not only when it's taught and preached, but when you get it in your own personal life and you're reading and in your devotion. God starts talking to you, wow. When he tells you something, say, Lord, thank you that you're talking to me. I'm a sinful, unworthy person, and you are obviously talking to me. I got that, Lord. That was from you. Even when he's fussing at me, he does a good, he does right smart of that. I know it is from him. You know when the trouble comes? When they're not even talking to you. You're still in a pretty good relationship as long as they talk to you, even, even to fuss at you. When the, when the conversation is cut off, it might be too late. <laughs> All are joyous. Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Up there in the, in the presence of God, there is joy. When he tells that wonderful story of the rapture and those wonderful things that are going to be going on when the of a universal church is brought together, you know what he says? He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what that comfort is? That there is joy to be looking forward to. Be looking forward to. So here's a church. Uh, what, are, what is this? This is kind of funny to me. Permanence of membership. All are present. All are healthy. All are sinless. All are in agreement. All are in harmony. All are joyous. Have you figured out we're not talking about any Baptist church on the face of this earth? <laughs> All right, here's a great one. All are in direct, literal presence of the Lord himself. Amen. Turn to that wonderful passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, where this assembly takes place literally and actually. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Now right now, we do have the presence of the Lord. Don't misunderstand. His Holy Spirit indwells our body, and there are times when we're having a good meeting, that the Lord Jesus is here, and we know he is because he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We know he walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks, and the golden candlesticks are the churches. There is a sense in which we have his presence. Now, buddy, when we get in, in the rapture, it's his direct, literal, physical presence. There's no more of this spiritual. Now, the spiritual's good. Do not get me wrong. I have absolutely about lost it a few times over just his spiritual presence. But when you get his direct, literal, physical presence, you're going to lose it like you have never lost it on your birthday or winning the sweepstakes or shouting glory at a good meeting. It's going to be a different level. There's a reason it gets loud in heaven. When the Lord Jesus Christ shows up, 
They go crazy. I hate to even use this example, but you've seen old footage of when Elvis Presley got on stage in the 50s or the Beatles got on stage in the 60s and the crowd went crazy. You've seen you know, a football team score a touchdown and 100,000 people go nuts. Now, when Jesus shows up, it's going to be that times an infinite number that you can't even imagine. Because something inside of us knows that's him. And that is literally, directly, physically him. And you're going to go ballistic. That is going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. All in this universal church are in the direct, literal presence of the Lord himself. I'll tell you one other thing. It is never ending. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And down here it ends. Over the years, if the Lord tarries his coming, which we hope he does not, we'll be saying goodbye to some members of this church. They're going to be dying. They're going to be moving. It might be me. I might die before somebody else does. I don't know. I don't know the order that's going to happen in. You can't predict these things. But it's going to end if the Lord tarries his coming for us. Up there, it'll never end. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, we've looked at the New Testament assembly called out by God. The one at the rapture surely surpasses all others. But that hasn't happened yet, has it? And we really don't know when it's going to happen. I think surely it's soon, but I, I can't prove that. I can't give you a date. Surely it's soon. Lord, let it be soon. Amen. But until then, the only one we've got in the literal sense is this local church. Are you faithful in attending it and giving to it and praying for it and enjoying it and trying to grow it? The Lord calls it the pillar and ground of the truth. Isn't that worth giving ourselves to until the glorious assembly of the rapture surpasses all these local assemblies? Amen. Let's give, us, give ourselves to the one we got until we get the one that's eternal. And there's a bunch of people sitting in here that's done that. And God bless you for it. I appreciate it. And more importantly, He appreciates it. And He'll bless you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to read and study your word and look at these things. And what a blessed thing it is to think.